I woke up in the middle of the night in my hammock to a very strange sound, like and I grabbed my torch, looked up, and inside my hammock lining in the Amazon, far away from any help, was... Hello everyone, welcome to the Rooting Around podcast, a podcast where we normally talk about countries around the world, but today we're not. I'm Kevin. I'm Ed. And who are you? I'm Dan. This is Dan O'Neill, TV wildlife. The legend that is. It is. Yeah, it is. Extraordinaire. <laughs> In the creepiest way, I've been following you for a long time. Really? Or uh, on, online? Online. Online. Okay, well, that's much better. Purely online. <laughs> I uh, feel like I've never, se- I've never seen um, this mentioned. It might have been. But do you talk about where you are? No, no, we've never. You've we've never mentioned no. what you've mentioned studio. that frame just because of the color. I remember, but we've not. Yeah, yeah, because we, we've had a few different studios, and the first one was like a legit. It was like an actual studio. Was actually, yeah, yeah it was my previous. <laughs> this work. one isn't one of those. <laughs> no, 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 it isn't. I'm in the basement of their flat. Uh, so we know you technically through Christopher Beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times with uh, Becca as well. How do you guys know each other? Um, we met on a boat. Yeah. Me okay. and um, trying to find sharks. So I, and Becca as well, me, Chris and Becca, um, we didn't eat, uh, know each other until our mutual friend Lizzie, Lizzie Daly, just as an oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah. Uh, wildlife presenter extraordinaire. She organized a boat trip to go and find blue sharks off the coast, uh, south coast. And we, in the, Celt- oh, was that the Celtic Deep? Yeah, in the Celtic, Celtic Deep. And oh, uh, I've been chatting to Chris a little bit on Instagram because I just thought he had a cool style and I liked his cinematography. Mm. Uh, but we'd never really planned anything or organized anything. And then went on that boat trip. He was a legend. Met Becca, she's a legend. And very quickly after that, we just decided to go and film Snow Leopards together. And, our, um, and actually, yeah, we never worked on any project at all. And we just decided to go and do this. In Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, this month-long trip to Kyrgyzstan. That's a safe bet. Yeah. He's very good. I know, and we... It's a safe bet. We know it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you want to come to Kyrgyzstan with me? Just in the middle, to the middle of nowhere, in the mountains, snowy. Yeah, um. it, was, it was quite... Uh, was it in winter when you went there? Yeah, we went right in the, uh, yeah, the really cold time of year. Well, it was one of those things that was... It's kind of one of those moments where we, he came to my flat and I had all this like crap on the floor, all of the camera kit. Um, we looked at each other and there was this awkward moment which was like, are you going to be a douchebag? Do <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Quite scary concept, just flying to yeah, yeah. Fully, together. Fully committed, and, though. And it was like five days before lockdown, and we were and they were and we had to like fast track everything because they were changing the rules constantly. So we just ended up being like, right, should we should we go now? Let's go now. <laughs> and we just booked flights and went to Kyrgyzstan. That's was that brilliant. the first lockdown? Uh, it was the Christmas one, so the second oh, lockdown. Okay, yeah. yeah, and um, went out there, had to deal with loads of different things that made it really difficult, obviously. But luckily, him and I. Um, ha- got on like a house on fire. We since found out actually that we did this Myers Briggs personality test thing. Have you ever seen that? Sixteen yeah. personalities. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared yeah. to do it. Yeah, don't. You'll find out you're a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, we, but we did it, and we have exactly the same personality type down to the additional letter. Um, oh, I'm what? Gonna, what? I'm not going to tell you what it okay, is. Okay, fair enough. But you yeah? should, doesn't Why would I give so much away? Of myself? <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's a very offensive one that me and Chris uh-huh. were very upset about, but we okay. accepted it. <laughs> Okay, um, well, I'm gonna. It have would to... always like be like friction if it was the same. You'd think so, yeah. but weirdly, not at all. Nice. I think we're both very. We try to find the fun in every moment. So when everything goes tits up, we just go ah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we both have that. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's been in good spirits in every kind of stressful situation I've been in him with. You've been in him with. In him, yeah, that was poor phrasing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> been in him with. Been with him in. Oh, he'll enjoy this. Yeah, I'm sure he will. <laughs> um, yeah, because you were off doing the adventurous trips with him. Yeah, so he did the Mongol rally with with us, and then worked even closer with him. Uh, closer in him uh, <laughs> in Morocco and uh, and that was just a shit show and it ended up being really fun mm. um, and we, I had to work with Chris quite a lot and uh, he's sassy but he's great yeah he's really yeah. talented I mean he uh, people just like him and I think that's why he gets he gets really good shots and mm. that's why he's such a good like people photog um, filmmaker as well because everybody likes him um, and so he can get on people's good side really easily yeah he's great at dealing with people he's there's no there's no real pressure mm. there's a friendly pressure there yeah. and he can deal with all my shit as well because I'm like right we need to go here we need to do this um, I'm like the executive um, and he's like alright mate so, okay. so do you direct your production? We kind of do it together. I'm, I'm, uh, we both wear a lot of hats. I suppose like we have to when there's literally just two of us. Yeah. I mean, the most recent, we did our first um, one hour for TV together where it was just him and I from the production when we went out to Guyana and did an expedition together. And I directed that and produced it and presented it and he shot it and we did a I did a bit of shooting on it, but he did most of it. And any kind of problems we had or challenges we came up against, it would just be our two heads that came up with the answer. There wasn't really one person that did anything. Um, and that was like, yeah, and we turned that into a one hour doc that's now being distributed across um, Europe, which is super cool. That's amazing. I've still not seen that one. Last is Eden, that, yeah. yeah. We're still waiting for a UK broadcaster. Ah, um, but is it online somewhere? Or? No, yeah, well, it's out on TV. It's, it's going out on TV across Europe with Viasat Nature, but it's, okay. in, been, it's been in a bunch of countries. I have to check where it is now, but, yeah. um, but it's out there. Is yeah, there a website was... or something to where we can follow, like, maybe the... What's going on with it? Well, yeah. you can type in Last Eden Guyana, um, and you will find where it is. Mm. Um, I don't have that information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when Chris was here, uh, the first time it hadn't been released yet. Yeah. And he was so evasive. I knew it was harpy eagles, but he couldn't even talk about it. Yeah, it was lots of animals in it, including yeah. there is a shot of a harpy eagle. Uh. Um, but no, uh, we've got... Um, Oh, We've did got... you make a separate film about Harpy oh, Eagles? Yeah, That's I did, the yeah. one. Right. I make so many films. All in Guyana. Yeah. All in Guyana, um, yeah. But yeah, no, we, I did one on Harpies. That was my first film, actually. Harpy Eagle film. Was it Queen of... No, that's Philippine Eagles. Oh, Christ. I'm all Get over your the birds place. right. I Bloody hell. They're both massive. They are. They're the two biggest. They're both eagles. Yeah. yeah. Um, opposite sides of the world. Um, a perfect example of convergent evolution. They have very similar features. Big crest, giant wings, but they're actually completely unrelated. In fact, Philippine eagles are um, so far distant related to all the other eagle species. So stellar sea eagles, the white-tailed sea eagles, golden eagles we have here, harpy eagles, they're much more closely related. But because they, but Philippine eagles grew, um, grew up, because <laughs> grew up on the islands, um, <laughs> because Philippine eagles were separated allopatrically um, on these islands systems they evolved completely differently so they have blue eyes weird face are their behaviors particularly different yeah i mean because they're the largest predator on the philippine archipelago they actually are known to go down onto the ground and they'll hop around and hunt on on the forest floor which obviously you don't see from any other eagle species wow Well, you can just be walking around like on the hike and you see a massive bird on the floor. Probably not. They're critically endangered. 
Yeah, you won't be seeing that. <laughs> There's not many of them left, yeah. If I do, I'm really lucky. And they live in rebel-occupied um, uh, red zone areas in quite a lot of cases. They love it because obviously people don't like to go and make palm oil plantations there. Oh, yeah, so. it's nice and quiet. Mm. Uh, quiet for the most part. It's really interesting. You see that in, in Colombia with Las Farc. Obviously, it's awful, but there were areas of uh, forest that were untouched for a very long time because, the, you know, there were mm. um, peop- uh, there was political turmoil and had surgeons occupying those areas and people wouldn't go in. But then with the fall of Las Farc, um, there are now uh, worries that those large areas of pristine rainforest are being cut away. So, oh, not saying war's good. War is typically war is typically bad for animals, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Mm. But in certain situations, less so. <laughs> That's that makes sense though, because mm. we are the worst animals out there. I think. Yeah. Well, mosquitoes aren't great. <laughs> no, they do bad That's stuff interestingly, too. Right. So we are the worst, obviously. We're the only species to ever cause a mass extinction. Right. In the entire geolog- ge- recordable geological history of this planet, there have been five mass extinctions, right, caused by climate, lots of different things, meteors. And we're the, in the, the sixth now, the only one ever to be caused by one species, which is pretty nuts. But we're also the only species in history to ever be able to stop it, which is quite cool. Oh, that is a nice thought as well. Yeah, We're terrible, but some of us yeah. are nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> terrible with the ability to be great. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Mm. So what initially took you to Guyana? Big question. It's Where my- is Guyana? Just to make sure everyone knows. No, I'm not saying that the audience doesn't. I'd actually, I'm well, not no, sure. Well, it's a pointless <laughs> answer on pointless um, uh, because lots of people don't know where Guyana is at all lots of people think it's a country in africa mm-hmm. um but it's a small country about the size of the uk in the north of south america that identifies the caribbean country um so oh, they have yeah, domestic flights across the caribbean they're very much a caribbean identifying country their first language is english because they used to be a british colony until mm-hmm. 1966 just no one remembers that here because that's the one time we ever won the world cup um but <laughs> uh it's an amazing country uh the best place i've ever been 85 percent pristine tropical rainforests as far as the eye can see it's the inspiration for arthur conan doyle's book the lost world for like obvious reasons known as the land of giants the land of many waters home to the jaguar amazing place you've done this before haven't you (laughs) (laughs) never like that that was that was pretty good wasn't it it was yeah you can clip that yeah oh and you actually that that didn't answer your question at all which is when did you go there what took you there i i first went during university i got a placement to go there and and be a research assistant on a um on a uh long-term species diversity study happening in this amazing place called iwakrama or the green heart of guyana it's a million acres of rainforest that was given to the commonwealth for um sustainable development and research and we were testing against a sustainable use and wilderness preserve model there catching birds mm-hmm. bats insects and herps amphibians and reptiles and um tagging and doing amazing things so the follow-up question here what's your favorite insect i thought you were going to go straight for the favorite animal no I I thought, how I, many I, times I, you've okay. been asked I thought that. animals I've got way too boring yeah i've got a, i've got one it's probably um the a type of wasp a a pepsis wasp have you ever heard of a tarantula hawk mm. a a a is that horrific... a, a hawk or is that a tarantula it's no it's a wasp, wasp. Yeah. yeah it's a wasp oh. so some people will be aware of these but they're amazing and there's loads and loads of different ones and they have yeah huge like the big things but they have this incredible ability to um <laughs> it's kind of gross and grim and horrid um but it's a wasp that will catch a tarantula and you'd think that this small, skinny wasp wouldn't dare fight a large, hairy tarantula, mm. but they do. And they grab them and they sting them 
and they release this venom which paralyzes the spider, the tarantula, uh, and it is completely alive still. Uh, it has full uh, working uh, organs and central nervous system, but it's completely paralyzed. And then it drags it down into a tunnel, leaves the spider in there, lays its eggs on it. They burrow into the spider and grow inside the spider, eating parts of the spider, but making sure that they don't eat the really important bits that keep the spider alive. So they, and then finally, after so they grow inside, yeah, they're selective eaters, um, <laughs> um, picky eaters. And then after a while, once they've eaten most of it, grown quite big, they'll eat the rest of the spider, killing it and burst out of it. And then they'll go and do that to other spiders. But there are, uh, there's loads of different sorts of uh, parasitic wasp. There's even one, this is my favorite one, that will sting a cockroach at a specific point in its head, causing it to clean its entire body. Um, and then it drags it in there. So it actually does, it creates a behavior change. It stings it at the exact point in its brain so that this, so that this cockroach will, will clean its entire body, which is just really God, weird, right? I love nature. Um, and then it lays its <laughs> eggs on it, and then they eat the insides, yeah, avoiding the they, internal organs. And then there's they always deaths involved, isn't there? It so that's probably my favorite. I think nice. anything that involves some sort of weird mind control mm. um, is pretty damn cool. I had, uh, you'll definitely know more about this. I had a, it was a caterpillar of some form of moth, I think. Mm -hmm. And it climbed up the outside of my house and then just stayed in this one place and started laying silk. And then wasps started coming out of the silk. So it laid eggs. Oh. I've got a picture. I want to see it. But it basically climbed up the wall and then almost acted like a guard dog. That's really interesting. So the larvae or, uh, or eggs or whatever. Mm. Uh, so it was outside of the caterpillar. And then when you'd go near it, the caterpillar would like flick up mm, and, uh, wow. and try and attack you. I Why did you want to go near it? <laughs> because it was cool. Yeah. It had <laughs> parasitic wasps in it. I've got another question. I've got another ant. Uh, another ant. I've got another insect for you. Okay. I was talking to you guys about this briefly earlier. One of the coolest insects in the world are ants not only because they are amazing and they're so tiny but yet we're all afraid of them and loads of other animals are afraid of them but they have co-evolved with plants in the most incredible ways there is a plant called hydnophytum which is a myrmecophyte or an ant plant have you heard of ant plants before no so ant plants are plants that have co-evolved with ants. Um, so hydnophytum, for example, and the way it's co-evolved with ants, is the plant grows from a seed into a gall shape, bulbous thing. And inside the plant is a ready-made ant's nest. Before ants what? are even with the Great. plant whatsoever. It's like um, IKEA for ants. Yeah, quite literally. That's not that's not only that's not the most amazing part. So the plant grows and it has this ready-made ants nest inside which includes tunnels and specific spots that the ants like to use that's including a midden chamber. Yeah, a midden chamber which is where ants will put their dead. But also when the ants then move in it produces these things called extrafloral nectaries in some cases where there will be pockets of sugar that are produced, depending on how well the ant defends the plant, it, they will get more or less sugar reserves from the plant. Yeah, <laughs> amazing, right? Economy system. Absolutely well. incredible. But also, what's really, really cool is when the ant, when the plant mass produces seeds, the ants know the genetic markers of that plant, the, the genetic makeup of their 
specific host plant so well that they will go down to the background and ants will chew up and destroy seeds of the same species of plant that aren't the individual that they are living within. How incredible is that? <laughs> I that love the it. The ants can understand wow. the the genes, the code, whatever that plant is producing of the seeds of its individual self, which is absolutely amazing. And where are they found? So those ones, so uh, Hidnophytum are in Southeast Asia. I think there's like 55 different species of them. Um, uh, a large proportion of them live in New Guinea. But there's ant plants all over the world. You you see them in acacia plants, which they'll like attack the tongues of giraffes when they come and try and t- to pull uh, uh, leaves away, which is pretty crazy, right? But, but I mean, insect ants and plants uh, have symbioses all across the world. Absolutely amazing. My favorite things. And another cool thing about ants, sorry, I could go on about this all day. Um, uh, So the way that ants leave their nest, right? So when an ant leaves the nest, people are always intrigued by how they uh, find food and why they make these great big channels um, that are so perfect. Like, how do they know where the food is? How do they all work together? When an ant leaves the nest, it drops a pheromone trail, right? All the little worker ants will drop a pheromone trail. And if they find food, they drop one on the way back. If they don't find food, they don't drop one on the way back. So when they get back to the nest, the ants see, oh, you've dropped one on the way back, so that's a double trail. So then they'll follow that trail to go and find the food. And if there's still food there, they'll drop one on the way back. So it's a stronger trail. It's now a four trail. And then the other ones go, oh, yeah, I'll go over there and I'll do that trail. And so eventually you get these huge, great big hordes of ants that are all following that really strong pheromone trail. And that's how it works. Uh, but what we now are doing was a really interesting use of biomimicry is humans are now utilizing through algorithms that exact same method of dropping pheromone trails that evolution has shown us through ants to map the most economical ways to travel through space. It's wow, pretty cool, right? I saw something similar with, um, it might be the same thing, with, a, <laughs> with like a slime mold slime or mold, something yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Going around a, uh, finding the most economical routes and they have, and I think it, was it Tokyo that they have yeah. utilized that to, to make the Tokyo underground system the most economical way and they've reordered things based on a <laughs> slime mold. Like where you should put oh. the stations and, and things like that. Wow. That's there incredible. you go. Ants are really cool. They are. Mm. They are. That's probably my favourite ant. Screw the wasp. Well, you said, what was your favourite insect? What's your least favourite insect? Let's take mosquitoes out of it because they're dicks. Least favourite insect. Mosquitoes are just bastards, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I feel like that's quite a boring least favourite insect. Hmm. I don't like, okay, everyone loves shield bugs. You know the ones we get here in the UK? (laughs) But they smell awful. Yeah, You get one in your hand. Uh, I've never... Grim. So I'll say them. It's a bit um, acidic isn't it? Yeah, it's, just, it's a particular type of gross. Mm. Yeah. And if there, there was one question I wanted to ask, because obviously you get, what's your favourite animal? Mm-hmm. Almost every day, I'm yeah, guessing. All the time. If there was one animal that you'd be fine with never seeing again, is there any that you can think Ooh. of was your least favourite? Yes. Yes. Yes, there is. Um, have you ever heard of a, it's a... It's another... I feel like I'm talking about ants a lot here. <laughs> have, you ever seen, have you heard of bullet ants? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I woke up in the middle of the night in my hammock to a very strange sound, like... And I grabbed my torch, looked up, and inside my hammock lining, inside my hammock lining in the Amazon, 
far away from any help um, was a line of uh, bullet ants, which is the largest ant in the world. They're like an inch, an inch and a half long. But they also um, have the most painful bite or sting known to man through the Schmidt's Pain Index. It's been likened to being shot by uh, yeah, a, a gun, um, having a bullet wound. Um, but people, depending on, it can, it can react different different people but it could be so painful people have to be held down because they try to commit suicide oh um, it is really quite grisly. how long does it last for um it can last up to 12 hours i think um, maybe even longer in some cases mm. but um yeah and i just slid out uh, of my hammock and actually i got away from it but yeah i'd more than happily never see them again i saw a line of them in peru and i got super excited but also terrified because yeah oh, they're terrified have you seen the thing they do it was like uh coming of age ceremony with the glove and they yeah. tie them all in the inside they stitch them into the gloves facing inwards <laughs> who does the stings that? The, I, what do you mean Steve Backshaw does that actually he did it on did camera. he do it shoved his hands in went through it all what it's badass. really interesting hats off to the guy for doing it like it, it, like Steve nails for doing that you should like watch that clip yeah I'm going to I, if I you enjoy like Backshall. if you enjoy watching grown men cry <laughs> but yeah they, they I don't know how many they put in there but it looks like a big oven glove with some like feathers on the top of it, but they have them, the stings facing inside. But what is the point? Uh, am I missing something? It's an indigenous there? ceremony to go oh, okay. through. To, it's a part of um, to becoming a man uh, in right. particular communities, um, and it's the it's the ritual that they've got. It's like Fair it's enough. probably signified because it's so painful. Mm. Tying putting so many of them in a glove, it's just a sign of strength, isn't it? Yeah. yeah um, I, don't I think, think it's a sign of strength to not get stung by <laughs> yeah, all of those yeah. ants. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you were for the strongest yeah. by leaving your hammock. Yeah, yeah. It was very mature. I won't do it. <laughs> it's yeah. very mature. <laughs> <laughs> but that hammock was well, probably a very uncomfortable situation <laughs> to sleep in. We're a big fan of pointing out segues in this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's hammock. But that brings me swiftly to uh, one of our favourite segments of the week, which is the Alpha Guest House. Have you ever heard of the Alpha Guest House in Bristol? No. It is the worst rated hostel in the UK. Uh, on TripAdvisor. £30 a night and the worst rated. How yeah. do they get 30 quid for that? I don't know. It okay. burnt down last year as well. Like it's just it's it's a mess. Yeah. Okay, so it's particularly bad at the moment then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pump price. <laughs> so every week we uh, read the reviews of the worst rated hotel um, in the country we're covering, or in your case, the worst rated hotel or place you've ever stayed at. Mm -hmm. Do you have one in mind? Um. Okay, so just a few weeks ago, I was doing a talk for Swansea University. Um, it was great. Talk <laughs> went, the yeah, went it was, the talk was fab. Loved it. It was, it was awesome. It was a series of talks by different people, all talking about creativity and finding different ways to use it to save the planet. Really fun. That wasn't the problem. Uh, the problem was afterwards, I had to stay there because I couldn't get back to Bristol. Last train was at eight, and the thing finished at ten. So I had to get somewhere to stay. And Unfortunately, we didn't realise this until the day that I couldn't get back, so I had to book everything there and then. And got really late at night, finished the talk 10 to 30, was trying to book somewhere, couldn't get a single place to stay because it turns out that was the that on that day was pri gay pride in Swansea. So <laughs> there was just everyone partying, everyone having a great time, pride, all the hotels completely chocker, rang up all of them being like, please let me stay. And they were like, sorry, mate all chocker for pride and I was like great amazing but then luckily I found one place to stay and I was like wow 
how is this place only £27 for the night when <laughs> other places were like 350 I was like, whoa, That's less this place is amazing. So I booked it and I thought, I'm going to chill out now. I'm just going to walk there, walk there. You know, I just save my time. I'll get there about 12 and I'll just kip when I get there. Walked there. It wasn't real. Yeah, it was a scam that someone thought, oh, all the gays coming here for Pride, one, they'll all be look, looking for somewhere to, yeah, to, to, to shack up for the night. And so I got there to like loads of wasted people going, where's the, where's the hotel? Um, and realized quite quickly that it was a lie and it didn't exist. And then I had to like wander the streets of Swansea with no hotel in the rain <laughs> looking for somewhere to go um, until eventually found somewhere that were like yeah you can stay for 208 pounds so I'm going to say that made a hostel that I can't even remember the name of I could find it I could go and then get it for you um, we should we should look at some of those reviews yeah well uh, I'm sure all of the reviews were like what the fuck <laughs> where are you really yeah, difficult yeah, yeah, to yeah. find one can't, star. yeah can't find the place sorry <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm going to say that's wow. the worst place I've ever tried to stay, for sure. <laughs> that makes sense. Wow, that was. Yeah. Swansea's not a great place to walk around at night either. No, no. I mean, it was fine. I had a great time walking around Swansea. But it was just the the thing that ruined it was the panic that I'd have to be doing that for twelve hours. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I, yeah, or sleep in this. Maybe I could have answered this question by being like, yeah, the little like cubby hole, the bush I slept in. Yeah, that night. But no, we were fine in the end. Wow. Always on an expedition. Yeah, yeah. And where's, can you think of a particularly awful sleeping situation you've ended up while on some of your adventures? Um, <laughs> yes. So me and my boyfriend recently went to North Macedonia to go off grid and camp uh, looking for nice. bears and wolves and, um, and lynx and other animals. Uh, and we hiked like over this, we went over this river. It was like, oh, adventure. It was great. Um, and uh, set our tent halfway up this mountain in the middle of nowhere. He was like, shit scared that a bear was going to come and I was like really excited but he was much more prepared than me so he bought a ground mat and like a proper sleeping bag whereas I think I'm hard as nails when actually I'm the exact opposite and I was like oh, I don't need that I'll just have I'll survive off off like trail mix um, but I I bought uh, no ground mat and uh, a like two season sleeping bag turns out that we were on the frost line um, and <laughs> it was bitterly bitterly cold and I was like at one stage during the night he of course would give me no access to the mat because um, he's a wanker but no we, we made it work in the end but I was so cold at one stage I just like stared at the ceiling and I was thinking to the ceiling the top of the tent being like <laughs> I'm not going to survive the night it's not going to oh, like, m m this like, is what dying is yeah yeah literally like <laughs> this is I should record a video saying goodbye to my family <laughs> it was so cold but I've learned a lesson there yeah it was hard that night was harder than minus 20 in Kyrgyzstan that's because that's you how cold it was yeah. Oh, <laughs> no offense to your boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> no we had all the rangers too we were all oh, snuggled right. up okay. yeah, yeah. yeah and good sleeping bags yeah yeah, that makes sense. No, that was my foolish error. Absolutely. But that was the worst place I've ever stayed in that tent that one night. It also was raining the entire time. And I had to make a fire because everything that we bought to cook, I had to cook to eat. So it was, yeah, it was an ordeal. Yeah. Test a relationship. We made it through. That's great news. There you go. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. That was one thing I wanted to ask you is that 
obviously you go all over the world for for your career. When you go on holiday, mm. is it very similar themes because of your natural passion Sorry, for wildlife? Was, <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say something else. I was like, my, your natural <laughs> predisposition to, to dudes. Um, no, given your history. Yeah, no. <laughs> Ideal. Yeah, no, I mean, it is tough. I think I'd not, I've been single for a very long time. So I, and I don't go on holidays. So everything I do is like, when I go away, I want to, find animals and work and stuff and I associate travel with that and that's what makes me excited by travel the idea of sitting on a beach and just like cooking um is hell to me um a hotel stay for a long period is hell to me um I want to go on adventures so I hadn't been on a holiday for with a partner ever really and this was the first trip this year so I'd never experienced what it was like to travel really where people know that you're gay because I'd always just not, uh, no one had ever right. really associated yeah, that with so it. So it was just a crew. Yeah. Thing, oh, yeah. And, and, and I'd hidden those aspects of me in certain countries where I knew that it was a problem. But in interestingly, when I was out there with my partner in, in North Macedonia, which is one of the, you know, not so great places in Europe for LGBT people, we realized the things that we were asking each other, like the only times we were ever worried is where the way we spoke to each other was different because I would be like, he would look at me. Um, uh, I would look at him in a in a in a restaurant, and he'd be like, "Oh, don't look me too long in the eyes like that, because they might think we're gay." <laughs> and I'd be like, "Whoa, okay, yeah." And then when we get to a hotel, they'd be like, "Oh, yeah, are you looking for a? You can't stay here actually because you've got a, you've booked a um, a double bed, and and this is a um, you've got got a, a, a double room, and actually we've only got a double rooms left, and obviously you're." <laughs> we don't have two single beds um and there's like weird things there that like you're like oh yeah oh yeah of course and we'd go up and we'd and they'd be like or we'd go into a hotel and, and they'd say would you like a, a double bed or a, a two twins and we'd be like two twins of course a two twins because we're two dudes and that would be wrong <laughs> um, what are you trying to yeah, say yeah, what? <laughs> um so that's something i have experienced which is is weird and i'd never really thought about it so much until that point but that's why that's why now i'm much more vocal about these mm. things because actually like it's really annoying whereas just like here it's mm. fine but like it's so weird realizing how bad it is for LGBT people around the world that like you can't be open. If we were to hold hands walking down the street in like a lot of countries in the world, we'd get jeered at. 36% of the world, it's actually illegal to be gay. And like 11 countries, it's the death penalty. And you just don't think about 11 that. 11 countries? Yeah. There's been a new one recently as well in Africa, I think. Is it yeah, not? death, the, uh, Uganda. Remember. Yeah. Yeah. So they already had like quite a lot of very difficult laws, but there was no now it's illegal to identify as gay there. So you can't even be be known as an LGBT person. And they've told uh, families to out their um, uh, LGBT members of their family. Uh, so the authorities can. But I think it's interesting because actually, like as an adventure obsessive and as a wildlife biologist there are countries around the world that i would love to go to that i just don't have access to i can't go to uganda it's very difficult for me to go to like i, I work a lot with the snow leopard trust it's very difficult for me to go to a number of snow leopard countries because of the laws um, there yeah. so it's just really it's really interesting yeah but if you were to go on your own and obviously i would never encourage someone to hide who they really are yeah but if you were to go to on your own to uganda would, wouldn't you be just fine if you... I would never do that now. Because it's all you have to do is look me up on the internet and mm. you'll find that out. It's not worth mm, the risk. Yeah. It's just not worth the risk. Yeah. Like, there are other countries I would go to. Like, I want to go to Oman. There's really interesting stuff happening with Arabian leopards there. And I know somebody working there um, who's really interested in, in like, helping me get there and doing a project there. 
but they, you know, as, you know, Arabic countries, then less bad. They're kind of like live and let live, don't really talk about it. But yeah, there are definitely places I wouldn't go and places that um, I'd like to go that I can't. Like it's such a, Uganda's a big one. I would have mm. loved to go. And now I probably never in my life will go to Uganda. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I was, there was, um, with the Mongol Rally stuff, I worked in Russia, it was like five years on the trot. And there was a girl there that I knew for three years who then the year that we were leaving approached us and she was like, it's taken me a really long time, but I feel comfortable enough around you guys now to tell you that I'm gay. Mm. And it was, it was a really nice feeling, the fact that, that she could trust just a small group mm. of people. And, um, and then she just st started feeling a lot safer mm. around, around people that weren't Russian. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like when you come clean about, it's so terrifying telling people, I still have it today. Like, but when I, if I go into a new group now, I'm like quite publicly gay, so it's a lot easier. Um, but like when I, but even going into new groups, you kind of want to get it out of the way really quickly. Mm. You're like, no, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so I totally identify with her. And I had that in Guyana because I've been going to Guyana like almost like nearly every year for 10 years. I've been going a really long time. Oh, for so it's 10 really? I've been going to Guyana oh, wow. for 10 years now. Um, I go all the time. I have friends there that I love. I am obsessed with the country. I try to make, I'm going back in December. I'm going back after that in March. Like I go back all the time. It's a, it's honestly the best place in the world. If you like adventures, if you like adventures, you should go <laughs> to Guyana. All right. Um, but it's the only country in South America where it's still illegal to be gay. So um, I, why, why is that? Do you think that why the British colonial law? I mean, the, the British wow. colonialists left that as a legacy that it's, they weren't, they did like, that's why it's there. And that's actually a lot of the LGBT laws around the world are colonial remnants, that they didn't have these hatred things before the colonial um, colonialists came. That, so, you know, that's why it's there um, today. So the, the, the Brits... Well, we really are, that when well, I say we, yeah. it's a really Yeah, I mean, we, we've uh, done a lot of, like, pretty intensely tough things to the world. Yeah. Uh, but, and, but I was terrified to come out to anyone in Guyana for ages uh, because of that law. But actually, when I did come out um, and start talking to people very similar to your friend, when I felt safe in the group and I was like, yeah, I can probably tell these people. They're all like, oh, we love it. Yeah. Wow, and now I'm like, I've had like meetings with the British High Commissioner about doing an LGBT project to try and help people in the country. There's a thriving LGBT indigenous population run an organization that my friend Melanie McTurk is kind of trying to get off the ground. Um, they're really positive about it. Obviously, there are some quite like tough parts of the country and it is still a taboo subject in certain areas, but they had the first Caribbean identifying country pride, I think in 2017, that was peaceful. So like these in Guyana. Law, in Guyana, yeah. And it and it's a law that there's just not enough public and international pressure to get them to change it yet. And it's something I'm really passionate to try and help local people to to change that law. Um, so if so, anyone can shine a spotlight on it. Well, I hope yeah. to. I mean, I have, a pro I have a couple of projects that I really want to do there um, related to changing the law because it is a, it is a remnant law brought by the British that needs mm. to go because there's like, there's LGBT. That's the other thing. There's LGBT people all over the world. Wherever you go, 100% yeah, of, of communities in the world have LGBT, LGBT people. Um, so that's why it's so important that we change stuff, not just mm. here, but like we look globally because yeah. it's pretty shit everywhere. And you can, you can see it in some of those countries that it is particularly frowned upon that some of the guys are so suppressed mm. that you know that it's there, but it's... They're, they're just terrified. Mm. 
Yeah, it's a shame. But I think that, you know, just as much as, I mean, there are regressive things happening in the States and things happening here in the UK, but like there are, there's good news stories happening around the world. And I think we are slowly but surely going towards a better world. Yeah. And maybe hopefully in the next 50 years, I'll get into Uganda again. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. While we're on the subject, I did see the video um, for Attitude with you and Bimini. Oh, yeah. I am an enormous fan of Bimini. Absolute legend as well. Yeah. Like, you think that, like, you worry that when you meet people that they're going to actually just turn out to be douchebags. But Bimini is a legend. Really, really cool person to work with. Really genuinely very funny. Like, that never, it's not like it's just for the camera. Seems like such a sarky bastard. Just so funny. Honestly, they're amazing. Do you know Bimini? I don't. I have no clue who you're talking about. (laughs) So, uh, she was on RuPaul's Drag Race uh, UK. And did she win? Um, no. Run in the heart. Oh, there was a big upset. Yeah. That she didn't win. Yeah. She was the people's winner. She was the people's favourite. Um, when when was this? Was it the... Um, a couple of years ago now. Yeah, three. Because I remember watching it with you in 2019 after after the rally. So it, it was that been. year? Yeah, possibly. Mm, maybe. I mean, if that was a wicked project. That was a collaborative thing that we did with Freeborn Media here in Bristol mm. and heard a charity that basically the idea was how do we connect a new new audiences to conservation and climate change messaging and the LGBT community is typically not really focused on that Attitude magazine the magazine we partnered with for the project had never really done any like covering of the environment ever mm. um, and it's been going for decades and decades and it's a really big LGBT magazine so it's really cool to do that where we basically partnered with a cool photographer Joseph Sinclair got Bimini involved a big voice in like uh, the LGBT scene that is regularly talking about veganism and environmentalism so really authentically good for the project two youth activists Noga Levy Rappaport and uh, Darwood Qureshi and uh, sort of like talked about climate change for an LGBT audience wearing kind of wicked outfits made by sustainable designers Bethany Williams and Patrick McDowell and um, bringing it all together and packaging it in a way that's fun and interesting to the community but really at its heart is talking about environmentalism and because that magazine that we had done that 10-page spread in was covered by the explosion of Heartstopper the TV series. It was the most sold Attitude magazine of all time when it came out, um, which meant that we got a 10-page spread in Attitude magazine talking about climate change that partnered alongside big LGBT moments that got that message shown to so many more people. And it was really Nicola Brown and Annie Moyer, the people working there, that pioneered that um, project and made it happen. So it was really cool to work on it. And I love doing projects like that where it's like not the typical. People are always trying to put people into boxes. And I find this as like an explorer wildlife presenter biologist people like what do you do what's the thing like are you this are you that and i feel like it's really hard to answer that especially coming from a background a diverse background lgbt background like i don't feel like i fit in the box of all these other things so it's so cool to be able to 
get a platform to do stuff in a fashion magazine or mm. the project we did with Imogen Heap doing music. Yeah, for, I wanted to get to that yeah, as well. Like enormous fan. Oh, yeah, really? Of yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, Huge fan. She's a legend. So for those who don't know, Imogen Heap is the coolest person in the world. Um, she is a musician that has done incredible things. Really, like, doesn't... She's produced for the likes of like Taylor Swift. She did 1989 and won a Grammy for producing for Album of the Year for Taylor's uh, uh, album. She did the song Clean on that. She wrote the music for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, the stage production. She's got, I think, two or three, two honorary doctorates for like music and engineering. She, Such a boss. <laughs> yeah, like, no, but like she's incredible and also just a really lovely person. Mm. Um, and uh, I, she was the first musician I ever engaged with um, like first album I ever bought um, and I followed her on Twitter back in 2008 when it first started and because no one knew what it was she followed me back and I was no like way this, I was like this snotty 17 year old like gross <laughs> child and long game right I didn't message her I, I don't have this ability this like ability now but back then I for some reason did and I didn't message her because I thought I'll oh, wait until there's a reason play hard to get yeah yeah she'll want me 17 year old snotty child um but and i didn't mess it and then i did eventually a few years back uh i had an idea to work with her and came up with this thing uh which we're still kind of working on hoping to do it together and it just like the stars aligned and it just happened so happened that my management were talking to audible at the time that they were doing this podcast this secret podcast with kate blanchett and they wanted a music partner and i provided animal sounds from my adventures all around the world and found some others um and uh imogen turned them all into music with our and we sort of came up with biological messages behind them about like whether altruism exists made one song and uh, the first year of an animal's life made another song and um we invented we made 24 tracks that sat behind Kate and her co-host Danny Kennedy uh, talking about climate change. Uh, the podcast is called Climate of Change. And then um, we released it as a double album, which you can now no listen to way. on Spotify. Core Data Bytes 1 and 2. What's it called? Core Data Bytes, B-Y-T-E-S. Yeah. Or just search Image and Heap. Yeah, I was obsessed with her. She kind of got me into bits of electronic music with like hide and seek. Yeah, she's so talented. Yeah. Like, and I, she's one of those people that back in the day, like some people were like, oh, her bit music's a bit kooky, but it was always like one step ahead. Yeah. Like, she's a real uh, amazing talent. God, that must've been incredible. And how was, how was the music received? People... Really well, people loved it. I mean, and what, what, it was so fun. So like Imogen had never, and we were talking about collaborations. What a weird thing to do that's like totally outside the norms of what I've done in the past to collaborate and, and to enter that world and to be like a passenger in her amazing journey and to see what it's like for somebody of her caliber to create music, <laughs> which she does in the middle of the night, by the way. And I would get a ping on my phone being like, <laughs> I made another one. And it'd be like 4 a.m. <laughs> uh, and then I'd listen. Just a voice oh, yeah. note no, literally, of it. Li literally. <laughs> You say that, that's exactly what it was. In the middle of the night, a little WhatsApp voice thing, and it would be like a, an amazing track. And I would, and, and as a massive fan of her work, um, and a biologist, a filmmaker, nothing, like not a musician, to be able to get first before anyone else mm. a song from Imogen Heap, it was so cool. It's just um, like an idea. She's like throwing shit at the wall and just seeing if it yeah, sticks. Yeah, well, she's and then just so talented. She just goes, whoop, I've no done shit. it. <laughs> like, oh, I've spent the last three hours making this amazing piece of music. Um, but that's really cool. And I love the fact that like it was it was like kind of just like the Attitude magazine project was. It was 
finding a new way to engage people with stories of climate change and conservation. And one of the tracks that we released at the end, it was an additional track uh, that we did on called Autobytes, and Imogen created this amazing song using the booming calls of a kakapo and a critically endangered parrot in New Zealand. And um, using those songs, uh, sounds, she made the song, which is really cool. And it's got lyrics behind it, talking about kind of messages about conservation. Um, and then she funneled the money to that, to Kakabo Conservation. Um, badass. So, like, isn't that, isn't that just that's really cool? That's the best way cool. to do it. Like, that's mm. just amazing. Does she use instruments at all? Or is it just animal sounds? No, um, oh, in, no, she uses instruments oh, okay. as well and other bits and bobs. But, mo- like, some of them are really full of instruments. There's one uh, song, Red in Tooth and Claw, um, which is so badass. And when I got sent, that was one of the first ones I got sent. And it's so cool. And that's using the sounds of hyenas. And there's a grumble underneath it, like, which is just a tiger. And she didn't edit it. She just left that looped underneath it. Oh, that almost like, it's almost percussive, isn't it? The the growls. Oh, I love it. But yeah, no, really cool to work with her. And is there any other, because I know you do modeling as well with bits and bobs, right? (laughs) Um, Toot the own horn there, yeah? um, Not really, no, not really modeling. Like no one's ever been like, can you wet? I guess, I don't know. What is modeling? Uh, I don't like pictures of you. <laughs> yeah, there's a few. Us. There's a few of those. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think. Like, I'll do brand stuff where, like, I'll take a picture of me using binoculars or like a thing that I've worn. But um, never just like modelling for modelling's sake. Mm. Or like, but I do like it. I like doing those sorts of things. I just like doing stuff that's not really expected. Yeah, I feel like we're wildlife and science and wildlife television and presenting, especially. There's a cookie cutter of what that person is, especially as a guy. Like, when you mm. just see the like the army guy or the like the nerdy scientist and there's like not much in between there and it feels sometimes like if you have an interest in fashion uh, which I very much do you can't that doesn't really fit with the idea of what an explorer is so you couldn't possibly like going into the Amazon and hacking through the jungle if you also like going to like fashion shows with a bunch of RuPaul's Drag Race contestants um yeah you did (laughs) it was great yeah yeah I did that Uh, that must have been amazing (laughs) yes that and so but I find you talk about the LGBT stuff like there isn't anybody else at the moment do, mm. like that's doing nature documentaries on a large scale that's LGBT. There's some amazing LGBT people out there that uh, I know will like become really big in the future and have done amazing things. There's one guy across in Canada, Connell Bradwell, who does amazing content. And Patagonia is doing some amazing stuff. There's a person um, called Patagonia. Yeah, so Patagonia is a drag queen that like is getting loads of people outdoors and going on trips and oh, wearing high heels amazing. up mountains. That's the best name. Um, I love in, that. in the states. But I'm excited that like that's happening more, and I hope that like people are, st- are going to stop putting people into boxes in that way. Mm. It makes it so much more accessible as well mm. to just watch because it's always the same characters. If you if you watch like a a documentary like a travel documentary from like early 2000s it's always the same presenter mm. obviously the, the presenters might be different but it's always the same guys it probably wear the shirt i'm wearing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is there's a place for that there's a mass place for it i i love watching steve actual docs and mm. like george mcgavin was an absolute legend when i saw him on um and all my uh, one of my idols gordon buchanan um, oh, yeah. like I like I watch Gordon's shows and it makes me inspired so there is of course there's a massive place but there's also space for other people as well mm-hmm. and I think that's the important thing 
But there's also like Inca Cresswell. Um, she's a amazing underwater camera operator, works, uh, has been working on this project for a good few years now, four or five years at the moment with um, Wild Space. Uh, but like, these people are out there and it's so cool that there's a platform that like is a, there are platforms that are now letting people, giving people the chance to, to shine. What is the path, Ashley? So because you, you went to uni, you said, or did mm-hmm. you say, yeah, and you did. I studied zoology. Zoology. Um, yeah. Which I is think. not necessarily the quickest path to TV presenting. So how, why is the path? Because a lot of people would do that. They would do the, the specializing in the biology or marine biology, for example, and then go into a more creative way and uh, start making documentaries and stuff. So I before I, I left school when I was 16 because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And um, I, I loved science and I loved film. And it was like, and I couldn't, and I didn't really see a path to becoming a wildlife filmmaker. I thought that was like an astronaut thing that like, you just, it was too difficult to do. It was my dream, obviously, but like, I just didn't think it was possible. It kind of did back like 15 years ago when like Instagram and stuff wasn't really popping off. But now you can see that there are people doing it quite easily. I think Instagram and things like that is probably, I hadn't thought about that, but Mm. that is probably a big part about why it's so much more accessible now. But back then, like... Even when I was at uni back in like 2012 or whatever, 2013, I just didn't think it was possible. So I didn't go to school. I didn't, didn't go to school. I quit school and I went and did a local charity. I went to a local charity film school that was like super cheap, but it was like learning how to do directing for a documentary and made like some really terrible films, which are still on the internet, hidden away. And I will never tell anyone where. Um, I can't delete them. You've got them. great green screen. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're on someone else's. Yeah, yeah they're not. Ah, right, okay. Um, but, and that was really interesting, but it, it that wasn't enough for me. Like science trumped film. Like I, I realized doing those sorts of projects that was like, no, it's science, it's a wildlife that I'm really passionate about. And I love film and that artsy side of me that came from my mum is like there very much so, but really I'm a, I want to be a scientist. So I went to study zoology and then at uni, they had a film department that did, it was like a, um, a society at Sheffield called Forge TV. And I did a little bit of presenting there and learned how to use um, the stuff. And it was like, that was like, became really interesting to me and then after uni and start working as a biologist internationally on a number of different internet like projects on expeditions I went to study wildlife filmmaking at UE in partnership with the BBC Naturalist Unit um, the MA wildlife filmmaking program and uh, that was the best decision I ever made in my life doing that program it was I can't believe that they let me on Mm. I literally I can't believe it I just felt so underqualified and then when I got the acceptance I screamed yeah, it was just the best feeling. That was the best feeling in the world. Well, when that's did you the do gateway. That? Yeah. Yeah. When did you do it? 2017. Oh, so I, I was at you doing filmmaking from 2016 to 2019. So we could have... We had probably crossed paths yeah. at um, Bower Ashton. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I <laughs> the worked, new building. Almost definitely did. Yeah. yeah. I did, work next door to Bower Ashton and I've never seen... So Bristol's quirky, but... The Art University of Bristol is quite possibly the quirkiest place I've ever seen. Yeah, Bow Ashton's a... It's a cool building. Yeah, yeah it's a Really well-resourced as well. Like, the access, the film stuff that we got to use. It's like full grading suites, like the kit were you we were able to take out. wooden building. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. And like editing suites. And, oh, it's just amazing. Like, so many toys to play with. And like being able to go, I want to take this. Like, back then the FS5 was just mm. like... Yeah. The most of it, they've got FX6s now. 
bastards. Um, <laughs> but like being able to take that to the jungle, I just couldn't imagine. Like it was so cool. I took that uh, FS5 with Sam, who's been on the podcast a lot and works with Next Stop as well. We took it to Wales on to a remote island to shoot documentary where only like four permanent residents live. Wow. That was like our final like. Where was that? Uh, Bardsey Island, mm. north northwest. You have to go on a boat for. I think it's like 30 minutes, which is not massive, but it's just this one guy who built his own boat. That's so cool. <laughs> and who does like that. That It's like, it's not even a ferry. You just have to basically tell him, we'll be there that day. Can you, can you take us? And uh, yeah, it's really cool. They've got a, a really famous observatory actually for, for birds. Oh, cool. Um, Haven't they just become like a dark sky reserve or something? Yeah, I think yeah. so. They got really like, Popular after our documentary. Completely unrelated. Completely unrelated, but they yeah, they, they got a lot of um they got published in a lot of um like newspapers and, and the garden goes there pretty much yearly uh, to write an article and they they're doing really good stuff because they're conserving as well the um, the way of life on that island because obviously a lot of people left. There used to be a hundred people on the island and most people left. Uh so all the houses there are now basically Airbnbs. No. Uh, so you can book them over the summer. They close over the That's winter, cool. which is yeah. when we went. So we were allowed to stay in one of those houses. Uh, no heating, nothing whatsoever, mm. which is fine in the summer, but <laughs> in the winter, it's a bit cold. No, <laughs> no shower as well, but it was great. So yeah, we took one of the uni cameras and a lot of sound equipment and all that to, to a remote island where there's no power, nothing. And mm. they were just like, yeah. Don't drop it off the cliff. That's what's so cool about filmmaking as well. Like getting access to these cool mm. places mm. and finding a story that like no one's like told through film before. And then like being the people to capture it and then creating it, the artistry of making it. It's like journalism meets like create, like being super creative mm. and then being able to share that afterwards. It's really cool. That's kind of what I love about your films that, well, p- particularly the one with Chris uh, the snow leopard one was that mm. it wasn't wildlife. It was it was like an investigative. It's a people story. Yeah, uh, like conservation without like people is nothing. And like I feel like so many of the wildlife films that you see, especially the big blue chip ones, there's a they're obviously amazing, but like. Snow leopards, we, for years we saw them in the mountains. And you're like, oh, they live hundreds of miles from anyone. No one can ever see them. Snow leopards live alongside people. And there's a lot of snow leopard conflict. And there has been the entire time these documentaries have been, have been produced. But there's this romanticized idea that like, we don't really want to see people. We just want to see the animal. Mm. And it paints a false picture of reality. Mm. And when we made that project, what was different about it and why it's so focused on people is because we got it contracted in the edit with BBC Earth that Kustab Sharma was going to be very much across the editing process to make sure that the stories being told were A, accurate, and B, representative of the local people that we were filming with, so that it actually had a wider-reaching like purpose, which meant that after we produced it, it was really valuable. Local people thought it was relevant. It played at COP27 on behalf of Did the Snow Leopard Trust. Yeah. And wow. now it is currently being dubbed in Kyrgyz, edited into a one-hour film and being played on Kyrgyz television for free because the BBC have given it across for us to do that. Um, uh, So that local people can see the important messages that were actually made for them, but Mm. they can't understand it because it's not in Kyrgyz at a lot of these places, but now it's being dubbed so people can understand it. If that hadn't had the scientist 
involved in the process and been about the people, that would have never happened. And what's the purpose of making films about animals except for saving them? Like, why would you do that? Why would you want to inspire people about something that you're not going to save? So that's why I love being able to do stuff with local scientists and kind of work as both a filmmaker and from a scientific background, which is super cool. And that would have never happened. That mm. like that legacy of that film would never have happened if he wasn't in the edit because they just wouldn't have wanted it. The general audience cares a lot more about people than animals anyway it's nice it's really cool to watch planet earth and be like wow this is Mm. it's just incredible but if you don't show how people are involved in the story somehow it's a lot harder to like for example i (laughs) i've said this on the podcast before i don't really care about birds like i I really struggle to about birds really really get upset whenever you say that (laughs) (laughs) they're the best best. but i really struggle to because there's no like i don't know there's i really struggle you don't get a good dialogue going with them it's like fish. I kind of struggle to, you know, communicate with a fish. <laughs> See, so, yeah, I find it hard. real easy. <laughs> it's just all about eye contact. <laughs> no, but I get so, that. But if you put a person in yeah. that has a mission, yeah, it's a different thing, isn't it? Well, I was if watching Planet Earth when, particularly when I was younger, I was just excited about the making of at the end. Mm. That yeah, was what true. I was looking that's, forward that's to the most. Like the best part, isn't it? Seeing Doug Allen sat in a oh, in a cave for eight weeks. I've still not seen one. Like Doug Allen, Doug Allen, Doug Allen, Doug Allen's a legend. He's actually why I'm sat here today. <laughs> not on this particular he's podcast. Oh, I was say, but he introduced me to his him. agent. Did it? Yeah, oh, what a- Sarsby, who's my agent now. And right. so me and my friend Isaac went, met for coffee, and we were like, "I love you." And he was really nice and so helpful and supportive. And um, and all of that led to you being in a basement. Yeah, uh, in like your a, a basement. Green screen. Thanks, yeah. Doug. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did in second year, we were kind of, I did the Marina Natural History mm-hmm. Photography course in Falmouth. Falmouth. And our, uh, one of our things in second year was that we had to write an article about someone in the industry. And he first email was like, yep, yeah, sounds great. So Aww. I just went and met him in Clifton Such when I was a little student. And been amazing. I was just bowled over because he's, he was like <laughs> the man. Yeah. He's the, the, he's the OG snow leopard guy. Yeah. He waited out there for a long time. That was in Planet Earth, I think. The original wasn't it? one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just a uh, small Scottish guy was just sat in a cave for seven or eight weeks without... I don't think he filmed it at that time. He, I think it was another trip. Did he, yeah, I can't remember if he did or not. But I, th- I think he eventually obviously did, yeah. But yeah, he was, he was a badass. Legend. You saw snow leopards. Yeah. So you managed me to and find Chris, them. Yeah, me and Chris found them. them isn't yeah, well, there's about three to 5,000 of them sprawled across 12 large Central Asian countries. Yeah, and snow leopards don't have passports, so they also don't care about borders. So mm. they just sort of like go around there. Um, and yeah, three to 5,000 is not very high. So spotting them is like, and they can have a ginormous ranges. And that, coupled with the fact that they have literally evolved <laughs> to, to be... Yeah. hidden <laughs> right makes them really Beckers. fucking hard really like yeah really fucking hard to find actually um so when we turned around and looked up a cliff and one was watching us we were like that's fucking snowleopard dude the, rea- <laughs> and I the reaction say. of you guys when when that happens it was just so real like i could imagine just giggling the same way and just it being was so, so pumped. cool 
That's what I love. I love making stuff in tiny crews, either just me and Chris or like me alone self-filming. And there's not enough of that on television. Like I mm. miss seeing stuff like that, like old Benedict Allen, like self-filmed explorations. Like I want to see more of that. That's what I want to see moving forward in TV. I want to see hosts, presenters, people, explorers, whatever, wildlife enthusiasts, self-filming or in tiny crews. So it's real rather than... How do you feel paper. about YouTube and stuff like that, putting it out there? On the, on the internet for free because TV I think nowadays is trying to distance itself I'm correct me if I'm wrong because I don't work in the in- industry but trying to distance itself from all that YouTube self-filming stuff to make something look almost like unattainable because of the kit they use the the money they put behind just to make it more pristine and more like you know valuable almost um but the real stuff is, like you said, people filming themselves mm. and their reactions and what's going on. And that's all over YouTube now and stuff like that. So how do you feel about that? Well, I think that's interesting. It's cool. And, that, and, and the democratization that has come from YouTube and the ability to share content is brilliant. But like at the end of the day, to create content costs money. Mm. Um, to go to places costs money. To go on crazy adventures costs money, but it also safety costs money as well so what large-scale productions can do um i mean these huge things that you're seeing planet earth i mean tiny world like 25 plus million budget for a series fine there's that that's the amount of money these things can cost and um but there is a that but things are too expensive and television doesn't need to be as expensive there can be more done at a lower cost point but also it still has to go on those platforms or have that money behind it because in order so let's say someone wants to go and do an expedition up the amazon uh in the and self-film it something i really want to do really badly uh, put you in touch with carlos who's yeah, on here he's yeah. doing a canoe trip down the amazon literally right speak. now oh really <laughs> just launched today yeah. yeah um is he doing it on youtube no, 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 he's an running, adventure. He, as, as an adventure, he runs it so you can stay with uh, the Ashen Incans. Oh, lovely. In the They're building their own Pitosi canoes. That's sick. I'll go. Cool. Yeah. Well, On the next go. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> next year. Um, Dates are out. You can book it. By the way, everyone can perfect. book it. <laughs> there we go. No, but I mean like, in so, so a very remote expedition, self-filmed, for example. Like, if you've got a big production behind that doing all of the safety logistics, all that stuff, like making sure that there's a helicopter to fly out if something goes wrong, all of these sorts of things. And also like producers are, are there, like you, maybe on the sat phone in the evening for certain things about like story development, making sure everything's correct. You could make amazing stuff with the budget from television. So I think it's amazing that YouTube is allowing that. I use those platforms to be able to share my stuff, but like to go and to make it on a big stage and, uh, not only is it cheaper because you have like a solar operator or a tiny crew doing it, but I just think it's real and people want to see that. We miss that. I miss it. And what would you say has given you the most, like, not clout by any means, but most exposure? Apart from the Rooting Around podcast, obviously. Yeah, no, well, obviously yeah, this is going to blow up. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, probably that reel I put on Instagram talking about parasites. <laughs> like, that was probably it. The reel talking about the parasite from The Last of Us um, has given me a lot of exposure. That's got, like, two and a half million views. That's incredible. Yeah. But no, what like, genuinely, actually, um, I think it's a slow thing. Probably my series on Curiosity Stream. <laughs> Uh, the one that's just come out, Giants, which is the most amazing adventure I've ever had in my life. It's out now in the US and it's going out in different countries around the world as well. There's other territories. We're still talking <clears throat> to UK. Um, 
sorry. We're still talking to UK distributors uh, channels about where it will go here. But that I'm really excited about. I mm. wanted to come here. It's so cool. And not because, just because I'm in it. Like, I, I just think the production behind it's really cool. The producers were amazing. I think happy crews make happy shows. And we had the most amazing time on location with the best crew imaginable. Um, and we just had some awesome encounters. I went swimming with an anaconda. In one of the episodes, I got in the water and I'm that sounds three how dangerous foot. That, no? Yeah, <laughs> you a three helicopter foot on from standby? a twenty-foot-long <laughs> female breeding-size anaconda in the water. I turned to Juliana Terra, the uh, the PhD biologist, looking at anacondas, and I was like, um, "It's getting in the water," and she's like, "In you get." And I'm like, "She says it's so safe, it's safe." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How close? Foot. How close did you get? Oh, right next to it. Wow, yeah, did right you next touch to it. it or? On my Instagram, there's a clip of me like getting up with it you can see it was freaky but there were a few of those we walked up to an african bell elephant we camped out in the okavango looking for lions um in little tents and came face to face with a six meter saltwater crocodile in the wild the missing yeah that's 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 where i draw the line i think Mm. saltwater crocodiles yeah they're pretty scary actually that's going to bring me to a question from a uh, customer from a from a listener (laughs) We don't have anyone buying anything yet, so let me... Uh, you got some merch for me? We can sort, sort some out. <laughs> you get got merch. a plain t-shirt somewhere, haven't you? <laughs> get, get a sharpie. <laughs> what animal would you least like to be attacked by? Attacked by? Oh, yeah. probably a grizzly bear. No, a honey badger. A honey badger, yeah, they're pretty Yeah, they like mean. go straight for the nuts. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Have you or Wild to- dogs? They just grab all of them, oh, grab a, a different yeah. part of you, and just tug while laughing. <laughs> That's how I imagine hyenas. I said in the previous episode, like I think last week or two weeks ago, that I don't like hyenas just because of the Lion King. They're designed uh, to be dickheads as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. They're just jaws, they just right? Look hey, rude. hyenas are cool. Everyone thinks they're scavengers, but they hunt more than off, lions are more. They sca- uh, like push hyenas off kills more than hyenas push lions off kills and also they're matriarchal females are the, oh, the they have a faux penis don't they yeah they've got the pseudo pseudo dick yeah it's and just large a clitoris <laughs> high levels of um testosterone make a pseudo penis um it's an extension that comes out that's oh. that's one dominant lady that's hot mm. yeah honey badger's pretty awful because it'd be embarrassing because they're like quite small but very <laughs> very dangerous so it would just be pretty grim but there's a lot of In things you case, don't want to be attacked you were mentioned talking about a genuine attack so like yeah like ants being swarmed oh, by ants if they yeah. attack you or like maybe like oh there's oh there's so many horrible things it's like so, so rats yeah. A rat yeah. really going for you would suck as like well. Just nibbling on you like a, lot take a of long time. Just Ooh. loads of them, yeah. Sheer Ma- numbers. A mouse. Sheer numbers of mice. Yeah. That would be, okay. be horrendous. Yeah, isn't that Follow-up question, question yeah. is uh, how many mice uh, can you fight <laughs> off? <laughs> how many mice could you fight off? Realistically, like... Oh. I think I could take over a hundred. A hundred? That'd yeah. be piss easy. A hundred mice? Just I, be like... I, I, have you played Whack a Mole? Maybe like, <laughs> maybe like four thousand sure. mice. A thousand would be fine. They have very There's small no, mouths. A thousand. Oh, you so get just exhausted. They can do it in rounds. You get exhausted. Actually, and, and also four thousand. One of them's probably got rabies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's that other stuff that they that they do that's bad? The one that's bad for your liver. There was a thing that went around a few years ago that was like, oh, you have got to clean your cans in case a. Uh, a mouth the plague. Oh, yeah, that could be it. 
the bubonic plague. They killed loads and loads yeah. and loads of what people. What was that? No, but yeah, but I mean, there's lots of animals you wouldn't want to be attacked by. But yeah, bears aren't great. They bears. don't really give a shit where they're attacking you. I think Hyenas. they go for the soft bits as well. Oh. Yeah. But didn't that guy like get attacked and then he woke up without like a nose? And it just went for his nose a bit. Like, oh, oh my no, God. No, no, no. You've seen The Revenant, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah, that's Don't want rough. that to happen. No. <laughs> and one more listener question, uh, listener question, and then uh, we'll take a little breather. But uh, if there's one animal you could bring back from Ooh, the dead, because I know you're doing some dinosaur large mm. animal historical Di- stuff. dinosaur large historical stuff, yeah. It's the scientific. What would I bring back? <sighs> God, this is really hard. Did we agree on something last time when we talked about this? We were, we were talking about... We were this, talking about dodos. Yeah, the Mauritius episode. Yeah. What, because they taste so good? I just kind of want to see what they move like. But that's a bit more... What about, like, a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Oh, I want to see that. That's why you're here. My, mine would be, a, I, I think, a Megalodon. Megalodon? Yeah. I want to see that. No? No. I'd l- I would horrible. love to see I'm a dinosaur I'm really quite well. scared of sharks, so like, why would you well, want to bring back the scariest shark? <laughs> that is the- <laughs> <laughs> it's a good. Jason Statham needs a third film. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the bag. Have, um, have you? A Velociraptors. Something oh, cool. Oh yeah. They were actually really small though, so kind of cute, perfect pet. Yeah. Mm. Or there was like a six-foot scorpion. That would be quite horrid. It's the same There's as the so Meg, many. though. Why would you want... Yeah. Why would oh, you want God, that? horrid. Six, horrid. Uh. Giant sloths. Although, to be fair, you know what would be... Because there's an emotional connection to it. You've seen the thylacine or Tasmanian tiger. The last one went extinct, I think, in 1936. And it's there's a video of it wandering around. It's little, like, tiny cage. The last one ever. I want that back. Yeah. Marsupial uh, carnivore that lived in Australia. There's, there's something I want to talk to you about in the next episode uh, that involves very similar... So, uh, we'll, we'll, very similar, very similar to, <laughs> to the thylacine. Interesting. So, uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, but for now, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, see you next week for another episode with Dan and more animals. I suppose. <laughs> 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 Put up really. with more of me next week. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Do all that good stuff. Like follow, subscribe. Five stars and all that. Oh yeah, please follow me. Where can we watch your stuff? Um, You can find Giants on Curiosity Stream in the States and a number of other places. You can send lots of angry letters until it appears in the UK. And you can follow me on my Instagram, Dan O'Wild. And if you just type in my name on other things, you might find it. But that's my main place. It will also be in the description, obviously. So you can find it all down below. There you go. (laughs) I don't do this very often. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks everyone. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.